Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Competitiveness isn't necessarily bad. It's a good thing very often. But if it gets into the area where there's pride, look out. John's disciples were beginning to fall into these issues when they saw that so many people were going to Jesus to get baptized. John answered them and he said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I have not been sent, I have been sent before him. I'm not the Christ. I was just sent to prepare the way for him. Unwittingly, John's men were pushing him into direct competition with the Lord himself. And John goes, whoa, whoa, whoa time out here. Sit down. We, I got I to explain something to you. And they're saying, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and we're up there and all are coming to him. But John uses great wisdom learned and earned in the years prior to this moment, and he shares it with all his disciples as every great discipler does. you got a truth. you got to share it with your student. We have a pretty dynamic discipleship program here. To get involved in it, you have to first be discipled. we got to be on the same page, right? And then you go out and you disciple someone else, and you share all the truth that you know, that you've been given. Jesus taught truth to his disciples, and we have picked out 13 of them. 13 foundational truths that every Christian needs to, to know. They're going to walk with the Lord. And we teach one a week. You might do it at a coffee shop. You might do it at your home. You might, you know, wherever. But you sit down for about an hour and you sit with this person and you talk about these truths that you've already been trained in. Chapter by chapter, they've done their work. They come, you give them truth. So that's what John's doing here. John informs them, all good things come from heaven. So he is not the source of the blessing, but rather he's the receiver and the sharer, the distributor of truth and wisdom. All his ministry and blessings came from God and back to God they must go. That's the way he felt. There can be no competition between God and his children because everything we receive is from him. Our job, our wealth, our relationships, our knowledge, our wisdom, everything good comes down from the Father of lights. It's not ours. We just redistribute them to others and use them to glorify Him. All we can do is to offer them back to Him as a blessing, an act of worship to the Lord, and an act of love to those around us who need it. Our gifts, our talents, and the time and opportunities we're afforded to use them come from God alone, so there is no room for pride. John says that right away. Let's get this clear. I am not Jesus. I never claimed to be, and I've told you that, and I've told you what my mission is. Jesus said, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Become the servant to everyone. Pretty simple. John understood that very clearly. God provides the blessing we have so we can offer them back in acts of worship and thanksgiving to Him. After sharing this truth, John the Baptist uses a wonderful metaphor here, similar to the one Jesus might have used. And I think he 
was taught to use metaphor. Jesus did it a lot. We've talked about a few of them just recently. John the Baptist is going to do the same thing with his students. After he proclaims this, he's going to tell them a little story that they'll never forget. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. So what is this metaphor? Well, they understood it better in in the Jewish culture, so let's pull it apart for a minute here. John uses this metaphor that Jesus is the bridegroom. Christ followers are his bride. And John the Baptist was called to be the best man. In Jewish culture, the best man had a lot more responsibilities than he does today, by the way. 2,000 years ago, the best man helped the groom to prepare his home for the couple to live in. He might help build the home, or he might help add a room on to the home for the couple. He was part of that. Additionally, he was charged... He was in charge of the wedding feast. Not maybe hands-on, but he made sure everything took place in the order that it should have taken place. But most importantly, the best man was in charge of guarding the bridal chamber, keeping all the outsiders outside. And he was responsible for protecting the bride until after the ceremony and until the groom arrived at the bridal chamber. His responsibility, nobody else's. Near the closing of the feast, the bride would sneak off and she'd head for the bridal chamber. The best man would follow her and make sure she arrived safely and she would go inside. And his job was to stand outside and protect the bride by protecting the bridal chamber. Now John's joy was complete, he said, when he heard and saw the bridegroom had arrived. Jesus had come to claim his bride. Now it was John's role and honor at this point. The best man goes, brother, you're here. You're here. Awesome. Go into the bridal chamber. I've done my job. It's time for me to step aside and go on with what you've told me to do. And he celebrated that opportunity. You see, John the Baptist understood that for a little while he was in the spotlight. He understood that. But he understood there was a greater one coming, the Messiah, who he would yield the spotlight to. And Jesus stepped in. Even before John was born, while still in his mother's womb, John rejoiced in the presence of Jesus, who was at that moment in his mother's room. You remember when when they met, Mary and Elizabeth met, and their children rejoiced in the womb. John understood this from the time he was, before he was born. John was very honored to be the voice that announced the Savior to the world. Jesus must increase, he said, and I must decrease now. Well, we're almost done with chapter 3. I want to point out something that, that stood out this week. 
And I got this from Dr. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite authors. Um, He points out in this chapter that we see the word must three times. Let me give it to you. This This is fascinating. Letter A, the must of the sinner. You must be born again from above. We we saw that in verse 7. Then letter B, the must of the Savior. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, crucified on the cross. That was in verse 14, that must. And here, letter C, the final must of the servant. He must increase, and I must decrease. So we've seen, number one, Jesus as the teacher. Number two, Jesus as the groom, as we just saw. And now we see, number three, Jesus, the final authority. Jesus as the final authority. See, the world doesn't want authority. They want want to rule themselves. This is our sin nature. Every one of us was born with one. And our desire is to run the show, right? I want to do what I want to do. This is why we... We bang heads with the world so often, or they bang heads with us. They don't want anyone else telling them how to live their life. But there is one who has the right to do so, and he's the one that created us. He is the final authority, and he deserves the final say when controversies arise. Letter A, here's why. Because he came from heaven. He came from heaven. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. This is mankind. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now this claim struck fear and anger into the hearts of the religious elite, the Pharisees that were listening to this. No other human has ever come from heaven Not Abraham, not Moses, not David, not even John the Baptist himself can claim that. Only Jesus can make this claim. Jesus pre-existed time, space, and matter. He was always in eternity past, present with his Father. And this was an atom bomb dropped on the ears of the Pharisees. By claiming he was from heaven, Jesus was claiming to be God. And he not only claimed to be God, but he backed that claim up with signs and wonders and miracles, which even Nicodemus recognized and commented upon. He said, no man, no man can do these things except he comes from God. We know that. So why should Jesus be the final authority? Because he came from heaven. And here's letter B. Because he is the primary witness. Jesus is the primary witness. Verse 32. And what he, Jesus, has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. The Jews were rejecting it. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Jesus came from heaven and heard these these words spoken directly from God himself. He is what we call in police work the primary witness. So, uh, you know, being a former cop, uh, when you get to a scene, a crime scene, you were always, I was always looking for the primary witness. Who saw what? 
Well, I heard that, oh, okay, I don't, I don't want to hear what you heard. Anybody see what happened here? Well, um, you know, I turned around and it already happened, but I think that guy shot this guy. But you didn't see it, no. And someone walks up and goes, man, I saw the whole thing. And they go boom, 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 boom with their testimony. And it fits what I'm looking at here. You know, okay, you're the primary witness. Can I, I need to talk to you over here. Jesus is the primary witness. Why? Because he was in heaven and he heard directly from the Father all that he was to speak and do. Jesus is the primary witness to go to. That's why he has authority to speak over our lives. But those who did not receive his word wouldn't listen. But those that did, here's, what, here's the response. For those that did receive his word, they certify it by obeying it and experiencing the word for themselves. That is true. So it's not enough to just read our Bibles, but it's, we're to read our Bibles and then we're to understand what it says. We're to dig deeper. What, is this, what does this mean? What, did it, what does the word mean that this writer's saying in their culture? And then the application, how can I take this knowledge and wisdom and apply it to my life today? What do I do with this? And then as we do this, we certify that he is true because we're living what he's told us to do, and it becomes evident in our life. Why should Jesus be the final authority? Because he came from heaven, and letter B, because he is the primary witness. And here's letter C, because he is the Father's ambassador. He is the Father's ambassador. Verse 34, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. He doesn't give it partly. The Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hand. Jesus was the full authority. He has all wisdom and knowledge. An ambassador has the expressed mission to take the will of the king from his country and go to another country, and he does the business of that king. He doesn't come up with ideas on his own. He, he doesn't try to enforce something that he thinks should be done. No, he understands what the king wants specifically. He goes to the other country, to that king, and says, I'm here as an ambassador. This is what king so-and-so told me to say. This is what he'd like to, to uh, tell you. And this is what he'd like to agree to with you. So the ambassador plays an important role. We are all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we're to go to the world with the words of the Father, not our own, but the word that we find in Scripture. Another reason Jesus has full authority is this, letter D, because Jesus is our only way of escape. He's the only way out of this life alive. Verse 36 he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. This verse expounds on verse 18 that we read last week by pointing out again that there can be no neutral ground here. You're either with Jesus or you oppose Jesus. There are no Swedens here. And if you like history, you know what I'm talking about. You can't go, well, I'm not going to take any side. I'm just going to stay in the middle here. No, it, to not choose Jesus is to choose against him. 
will either meet Jesus as our Savior, full of grace and love, or we will meet him as judge and executioner of wrath. He who believes in the Son, however, has everlasting life. Everlasting life doesn't mean in heaven only, but it begins here and now. In the present, we receive the full gift of grace and mercy purchased by Jesus on the cross when he bled and he died for our sin. We were the ones that should have been crucified. We were the one that did the crime. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'm here on a mission. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus. God loved us so much. He didn't want us to be eternally separated from him in a place called hell. So he had a mission all along to send his son down to earth. He would make the final sacrifice, just like they had to sacrifice lambs every year for their sin. Jesus would be the final one. Why? Because he was perfect and because he was God. He could do that. He got up on the cross. He shed his blood. And he died in our place. And then three days later, God stamped, gave him the stamp of approval. He came out of the grave alive. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. He conquered sin. And all we have to do is to turn around from pursuing the world and turn to Him, repent. Call Him our Lord and Savior. Tell Him we want to follow Him. And we want the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us. That's all. It's a gift. It's free. There's nothing we can do to pay for it. Nothing we can bring to the table. There's no acts we can do that would be good enough to make us good enough. Baptism doesn't save us. Coming to church doesn't save us. Having your spouse be a Christian, you're not getting in on her coattails. Not going to happen. It's a decision that you make to receive salvation. God has no grandchildren. He only has children that have made the decision. Now the opposite is true for the unrepentant sinner. He's... He's already condemned to wrath. The wrath of God is upon him, Scripture says. The verdict has been read. Now only the sentence needs to be carried out. However, because God desires all to be saved, He still calls people to repentance all the way to the end of their life and to receive the gift of salvation right up to the very end. I shared a story with someone earlier today of a man that literally... Um, was a, an atheist his whole life, rejected God, re- and yeah, wouldn't have anything to do with religion. His kids were raised that way. He's on his deathbed, and he came to, and he cried out in a loud voice, pray for me. And it shocked everybody in the room because dad doesn't pray. No one knows how to pray. They look at each other, and they go, what was that about? And his father looks him in the eyes and goes, pray for me right now. And then he goes back out. They look at each other and what do we do? Hey, there's this chaplain, this police chaplain, and I think we could get him to come over here. So they call me. I'm there in seven minutes. Got out and they said, hey, uh, we're not religious or anything, but dad wants some kind of prayer. Uh, So you sit here and we're going to go outside. (laughs) They didn't want any part of it. So I'm sitting there and he's unconscious. And I'm thinking, I go, well, God, I can't talk to him if he's unconscious. You called me here. I know you're going to do something. Uh, You go ahead and wake him up when you're ready. (laughs) So I'm I'm, I'm, literally uh, two feet from his his face. 
And I am just kind of thinking about things, and I'm sitting on a stool, and all of a sudden he goes, and I almost <laughs> fell over backwards. <laughs> and he's looking at me, and I go, hi. <laughs> My name's Pastor Ben. I'm here to tell you something. Um, would you like to um, get right with God? Because you're about to meet him. And he says, I can't, he says something in garbled words, but he's trying to convey something to me. So I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> so here's, here's what you do. You need to repent from the, way that, the life that you've lived, and, and you need to turn to Jesus right now and ask him for his forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross. Just, just do it now. He says something I can't understand. I don't know if he was having you know, many strokes or what, but his, mouth, his tongue wouldn't work anymore. But his, in his eyes, I knew he was fully there. And he's trying to tell me something. And I said, okay, listen, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you mean it in your heart, if this is what you want, because it's got to come from you, then you just repeat after me, okay? And he nods his head. And I said up oh, this inner's prayer. And he would he'd try his best to, he couldn't. I couldn't understand one word. Not one. I believe he became a Christian in that moment. And at the end of it, he put his head back on the pillow. And you could tell he, there was, he was just, there, he had changed. No, no longer panicked and screaming for help. No, he knew where he was going. He took a deep breath. He looked at me one last time. Then he closed his eyes. He would never open them again. Here on earth. And I stood there with chills all over my body going, wow, did that just happen? Wow, you are a powerful God. I got up. I walked out. The three kids, now 30s, 40s, I wanted to tell them about this. Hey, you know what happened? Thank you for being here, Pastor. And they're like shoving me out. I'm going, wait a minute. I want to tell you. Thank you so much. Bam. It's like God went, no, this isn't for them. Mm -mm. No, you go and you share it with somebody else, but these, these people aren't ready to receive that yet. So I walked to my truck and I went, wow, he almost went out of this world without knowing where he was going to land. What a dangerous thing to do. To leave this world and you don't know, you haven't made reservations for the next life? That's the worst thing any human being can do. You want to know where you're going before you leave this life. You won't leave it up to chance. Don't listen to that college professor. Don't listen to that friend and his advice. This is you and God. What will you do with Jesus? That's the only thing that's going to matter when you close your eyes for the final time. Good friend that was here visiting last week with his wife went home, and two days later, he went to be with the Lord. Suddenly. We were just talking right here and laughing and sharing stories. See, you don't know when that's going to happen. There's no time to go, hey, okay, I know I'm close to death. Usually, there's no time. Usually, it happens suddenly, and there's no time to get right with God. And then it's too late. The gift is here today. You're available to take it. I wouldn't push it any further I would receive the gift before I left here. It's too dangerous to leave this room not knowing where you're going to go if you die. That's pretty stark words, but this is what the Word says. 
Listen, this is for all the marbles. We're not playing around here. This is life and death forever. Make your decision today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, that it gives us hope, that it is a GPS in our life, but it, it gives us a promise, so many promises. The greatest is that we can have our sins forgiven and that we can know you intimately. We can know you as our heavenly Father, the one that loves us so much that you sent your Son down to die in our place. There is no greater love than that. So Father, I pray today, if there's anyone in this room or one of the overflows or online or listening to this on the radio later on, Father, I pray if they don't know you that they would just pull the car over and get right with you. Surrender their life to you. Call upon the only name that saves, Jesus, right now, and surrender to you. Father, I pray that we will be a church that is a voice of truth in our community, that we will stand up with love, but with truth as well. And Lord, that I, I pray that we would be about your business of saving lives and telling the gospel story to everyone around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.